This morning, I would like to talk about running well. How many people like to run? You're sick people, I'm just saying. I remember in a movie once where uh, an individual asked somebody else, he said, do you still run? And his response was, only one chased. And I thought, that's fair enough. I can buy into that. Um, we're going to be in the book of Galatians today. And I'm going to ask you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to give you a little context of what's going on here. Uh, Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. And he is talking to them about a different things. And one of the things that he is trying to drive home with them is that salvation has always been about faith. Don't go back to your old way of thinking. Stay firm in this belief. Because there are consequences when we look to our works for our salvation. And that's, and that's what's leading up to what... Paul has to say next. So there's an outline in the bulletin if you want to follow along this morning. And uh, we're going to start with this idea of getting tripped up. Galatians chapter 5, verse 7. This is what Paul says. He says, you were getting along so well. Who has interfered with you to hold you back from following the truth? Now, some of you in your Bibles are going, that's not exactly what mine says. Now, this is out of the New Living Translation, and the New Living Translation tries to make things easy. This is one passage which I wish they would have left alone. If you look at it in the New American Standard, it says this, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You see, Paul often used the metaphor of, of running a race to compare the Christian life. Running equaled, uh, isn't that cool? See, look at that, huh? Yeah, it, it's funny the things you get excited about as a pastor. There's a picture of people running. Um, but uh, Paul uses this metaphor all the time of running that race. And he compares that to our lives as Christians. And he says that you started well. You were running a good race. And then what happens? Something has tripped you up. Something tripped you up in, in the original uh, text it's the Greek word egkopt, which means, which is actually a, ra a, 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 a term they use when, when someone's running a race. It means that uh, somebody has cut you off in a race, uh, has impeded your progress or has slowed you down. So uh, if you watch the Olympics, and the, I, I like watching the, the speed skating short track, that is an insane event. And you see it all the time where a skater will cut somebody else off and everybody goes, and everybody's everywhere on the ice slamming into the walls and that. But that's what, what Paul is saying. He says, who's cut you off here? Who's, who's slowing you down? Who's breaking your stride, if I could put it that way? But Paul knows who has done this to them. And it's rhetorical, and we'll see this as we go on. You see, the, the uh, Galatians were trying to reach the goal of salvation through self-effort instead of God's grace. And that's not good. That's in contrary to what Paul had taught them. And we'll see this as we continue here. And the second idea, oh, I even had the word up there in case you wanted to know what it looked like in Greek. It didn't come out very good, though, because it didn't translate in that right font. But okay, we'll talk about a little yeast. Moving on to verse 8, it says, it certainly isn't God, what he's saying is, isn't God who's tripped you up, for he is the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching of this idea of you having to depend on your own works and not faith alone, it, it, this didn't come from God. 
The message of the gospel is a message of grace. It is a message that is simple. God did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves. He sent his son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sins, because if we did that for ourselves, we would be dead and eternally separated from God. It's not about work. It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. And and, and Paul laid this out clearly for them when he was with them. But now they were being influenced by others who were bringing this false message. Look at verse 9. Look what it says. It says, But it takes only one wrong person among you to to infect all the others. A little yeast spreads quickly through the whole batch of dough. That's a great old phrase. Uh, It's an old Jewish phrase. A little yeast works quickly through the whole batch of dough. It's an old Jewish proverb is what it is. Um, Yeast affects everything it touches. I remember one time we were making bread. This was earlier in our marriage, and my wife had made the dough in this big bowl and put the yeast in and everything, and we covered it up and went to bed. And we got up the next morning, and it was overflowed on the counter, down on the kitchen floor, and it was like, whoa, you know, the, the yeast really did a number here. But that's what false teaching can do. False teaching can spread like yeast. It starts out small, but it grows. And you know why? Do you know why it grows? Because a lot of times, it's what people want to hear. You see, if people are interested in hearing it, they'll repeat it. Just like gossip. We don't want to go back there again. But the idea of, well, you know what? This is, you know, God's really cool and everything, but you can do this yourself, and you can feel real good about yourself as you, as you do all these right. And people go, oh, I kind of like all the way that sounds. Hey, did you hear you could do it all yourself? I heard that too. Yeah, hey, some, hey, we could do this ourselves. And people start taking on this false teaching because it sounds good to them. And it makes them feel good about, it, about themselves. And it can spread through the whole church. You might also say that adding one falsehood to a greater truth can corrupt all of it. Right? It can corrupt all of it. This is why Paul is so concerned about this. Okay? If one thing other than God's grace were necessary for salvation, then we are no longer saved by grace. I will say that again. If one thing other than God's grace were necessary for us to be saved, we are no longer saved by grace. If it's Jesus died on the cross and you have to go to church, then Jesus' sacrifice wasn't sufficient. If it's Jesus died on the cross and you have to not ever sin again, which we know is impossible, then what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough. Because if it's this and something, this and something, then God's grace is not enough. That's so dangerous, friends. In verse 10, as we move on, it says this. Paul says this, and I love this. He says, I'm trusting the Lord to bring you back to believing as I do about these things. God will judge that person, whoever it is, who has been troubling and confusing you. See, Paul has confidence in the Galatians that they will see the truth and the truth will win the day. He just wants to help them sort it out and help help it all make sense. 
As I said, friends, the message of grace is a simple one. Look what Paul said to the church in uh, Corinth. I'm uh, going to jump over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this is what Paul says. He says, I know very well how foolish the message of the cross sounds to those who are on the road to destruction, but we who are being saved recognize this message as the very power of God. As the scriptures say, I will destroy human wisdom and discard their most brilliant ideas. So, where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? God has made them all look foolish and has shown their wisdom to be useless nonsense. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never find him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save all who believe. In other words, he's saying, you know, I don't care how many letters you have after your name. I had a great teacher in college who was a, a doctorate in chemistry, and he said, you know, when you guys you finish this, you're going to have your BS. You know that, right? He said, you know what BS stands for? If you go on to get your master's, you'll have your MS, which stands for more of the same. And if you even go on further and you get your PhD, all you're doing is just piling it higher and deeper. That's what he said. You see, we can live foolishly and say, well, I've, I'm so, I, I, I can't believe the times you hear people who think they're an expert on an issue because they read a book. <gasps> well, yeah, there's a lot of books out there. But did you read the right book for crying out loud? Did you read the right book? Where are you getting your information from? Because the message of grace, friends, is a simple one. And that's why so many people struggle with it. I remember the first time I shared the gospel message with my father, his response to me was, it can't be that simple. And I said, Dad, it is. See, it, it's so simple that people go, wait a minute, come on. We live in a world that tells us that we have to work hard for everything, that everything has to be studied and researched and evaluated and all this stuff before we can get to the truth. And God says, no, the truth is right before you. It's just that simple. What kind of a God would he be if the message of grace and the message of salvation was this really complicated one? Then only the really smart people no, no, they're already lost. Well, who would get saved? Wh right. Why would God make it complicated? God makes it simple. Because let's admit it. For most of us, we're not the brightest bulb in the pack, are we? Let's just be honest. The message of the gospel is simple so that all of man can understand it. It's not a tough thing, friends. And here's another thing to understand is that criticism is good. This is true. Criticism is good. That great uh, philosopher LeBron James once said, I like criticism. It makes you strong. But that's not what I mean when I say criticism is good. And that's not what Paul is saying either. Look at the next couple verses, verse 11 and 12. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some may do, why would the Jews persecute me? Now we know who's giving them false teaching, right? The fact that I'm still being persecuted proves that I'm still preaching salvation through the cross of Christ alone. I only wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Paul gets a little, a little angry there. He says, if I were teaching what they're teaching, why would they be coming after me? 
if I agreed with them, they would be standing side by side with me. But they're against me because I'm not preaching the same thing. Paul says, and I think this is very true, the fact that I'm being persecuted that I, proves that I'm still preaching salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ alone. That's kind of a promise to us, friends. I'm sorry to tell you that, that we will face that as we preach the truth of the gospel. What Paul is saying is that because of Christ, he no longer teaches the, ne the necessity of following Jewish rituals and laws, man-made laws. Apparently, the argument was made that Paul still taught adherence to all these laws. But if that were true, why is it that Paul is getting criticized by those who oppose him if he's preaching the same thing? If his message was the same as theirs, he would not be criticized. Criticism is a good thing, friends. Years ago, a friend of mine who's a pastor was given the privilege of, of praying at the assembly meeting uh, at the State House of Representatives. I won't tell you what state it was. But he was asked to do this, and he thought, what a great honor, and he was pulled aside beforehand and said, now remember, when you pray, we, we don't mention Jesus we just mention God, and we, we keep our, 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 our words very generic, and we, you know, all this stuff. He looked at him, smiled, and said, sure. He was never asked to come and pray again at the House of Representatives for that state. Why? Because he went there, and he prayed in the name of Jesus Christ. The only name, which he said, by which mankind can be saved. What a no-no. So they didn't ask him back. He was criticized for it. Criticism's a good thing. Criticism as a believer is a sign that you're on the right track, friends. When we're serving the cause of Christ, we can rest assured that we will come under attack from the world. Look at what Paul told Timothy. He said, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will suffer persecution. Thanks a lot, Paul. Really appreciate that. Anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Because it's amazing, friends, that people get agitated when the name Jesus Christ is mentioned. Have you ever noticed that? They really do. This is a wonderful quote by Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. In virtually any public setting, one can mention the name of Buddha, Allah, Muhammad, Confucius, or any other religious figure. And no one is the least bit concerned. But at simply the mention of the name Jesus, there is often a shocked silence, and many become angry and offended. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There is conviction in the name of Jesus Christ. People hear the name of Jesus, and they don't understand it. They're convicted, and that's why they're angry. Oh. Don't tell me about this Jesus guy. This is a very true statement. And the world becomes agitated at the very name of Jesus. But here's the problem. The problem with this is that Jesus is the answer. He's the answer. This can be very frustrating for us as believers. Because people don't want to hear about Jesus. But he's the answer. And I want to say, you moron, I'm telling you the answer. You just don't want to listen. It's like somebody asking you to help them with a math problem and saying, I need your help to get this right, but just don't tell me the answer's for. Amen. 
And that's what you get. Thank you, Mary. And I don't know what's wrong. I don't know why my life can't turn out right. I don't know why I'm not making the right decisions. I don't know why everything's a mess in my life. Jesus. Yeah, but no. Give me something else. Why is my life not right? Jesus. No, no, no. That's not what it is. Yes, it is, friends. The name of Jesus must be proclaimed. Whether or not people want to hear it, we still need to tell them about Jesus because it's the only opportunity they have to find eternal life. It's because of what Jesus did on the cross for us that we can experience the grace of God, a grace that saves us from the penalty of sin of being separated from God for all eternity, a grace that allows us to be heirs to the kingdom of God, a grace that gives us the honor to be called sons and daughters of God. A grace that allows us to have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. Even though we are sinners and we don't deserve any of it, friends, that's what grace is. You see, friends, when we understand that we're saved by grace, there's nothing we can take pride in. There's nothing we can take credit for. There's nothing in us to be celebrated other than Christ himself. There is nothing that we have achieved, but we celebrate what God has achieved in us. That is grace, friends. And that is the truth. All because of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we get frustrated with the world, help us to remember they need to hear about Jesus. They need to know about Jesus. They need to understand that Jesus is the answer. Help us to always have the courage and the boldness to tell them that. Help us to be brave. Help us to seek you, love you, and serve you wholeheartedly. As we leave, we go in the strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That name that causes people to tremble, that name that causes people to choose a side. But we go in his strong name today empowered by your spirit to share the good news of the gospel to everyone that we encounter for your glory and your glory alone. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great, blessed day.